Well, good morning. I'd like you to take your Bibles, please, and open them up to Luke chapter 24. Your Bibles up to Luke chapter 24. And this morning we are going to look at two men, two men who are on the road to nowhere. And we have talked about these two men here before, but we talked about these two men in a very different context because the last time I talked about these two men, I didn't actually see any people in front of me. All I saw was a phone in front of me. And I thought, this is really annoying to have to talk about these two men to this thing. So I thought I'd like to do it again. (laughs) And also, not only was it a very different context, but it was a very different group because there are people here who weren't with us then. And so I'd like us this morning to look once again about these two men who are on the road to nowhere. Now, why do I say they were on the road to nowhere? Look at chapter 24, verse 13. Listen to what it says. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Verse 13 says, that very day. What was that day? That was the day Christians began to call the first day. For some reason, we think it is the last day. It is not the last day of the week. It is the first day. That is how Christians remember this day, the first day. Not the day that gets our leftovers, the day where it all begins. It is the first day. And so that very day, these men were on a strange journey. It was a journey from Jerusalem toward Emmaus. Now, the significant thing about that, the reason I say that these men were on the road to nowhere is this. Jerusalem was the place where God would meet with His people. It was the place where God's temple was. It was the place where the glory of God would descend. Every time they were singing in in the Psalms of Ascents, when they were singing the Psalms of Ascents, they were going up to Jerusalem. Why? Because they were going to meet with God. They were going to come to the place of God. They were going to come to the temple of God. They were going to come to the presence of God in Jerusalem. So whenever in Scripture you see anybody walking away from Jerusalem, you think to yourself, are they really going to walk away from God? And that is what is happening with these men. They were coming to see their Savior. And yet they're leaving to go to Emmaus. It is the road to nowhere because to this day, to this very day, no one can tell us where Emmaus is. The only thing we know about Emmaus is this. It was seven miles away from Jerusalem. The only way you know of this place is because how far away it is from God's place. And this is what was happening to these two men. They are walking the trail to nowhere, away from God, not knowing where they are going. And that may be true of some of us here in this room. Yes, I am walking my life. Yes, I am living my life. Yes, I am making plans for my life. 
But when push comes to shove, I still know that there is no purpose for my life. And yes, I am like these two men. I too am on the road to nowhere. I too am walking away from God and walking to a place that no one else knows. And so we, like these two men, we need someone to meet us. We need someone to meet us. And on the road to nowhere, these two men are walking and someone meets them. And the one who meets them, the text says, is Jesus. It says, Jesus himself, not just Jesus, Jesus himself, the man himself, meets them. And when he meets them, it says something strange about how he meets them. In verse 16, you would think that when these men are dejected, when they are rejected, when they are down, when they are on the road to nowhere, you would think that when these men see Jesus, they would be celebrating. You would think that when these men see Jesus, that everything for them would absolutely change. But verse 16 says this, But their eyes were kept from recognizing Him. Can you imagine that? You think your Savior is dead. You're on the road to nowhere. And He Himself stands right in front of you. He's right there and yet you cannot see Him. And some people make guesses as to why they cannot see Him. There's lots of writing about this stuff. You know, people love writing paragraphs and paragraphs about these things. Maybe, maybe they were just so down and so dejected and maybe their minds were so flustered that they didn't, they weren't really able to see Him. Kind of like, you know, when you're walking down the street or a packed street and your friend says, I saw you the other day, but you didn't see me. You say, my mind was all over the place. I never see anybody when I'm walking randomly. And some people would argue, well, maybe this is what happened to them. Maybe they're so sad and so dejected, they just couldn't recognize Jesus. I don't think so. Maybe Jesus looked different. Maybe he had a disguise. Maybe maybe he looked different. Maybe the resurrected Jesus looked different. But I don't think that's the case either. He used to point to people the marks on his hand and the marks on his side. So what happened? The passage says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. God kept them from recognizing them. God is the one who opens our eyes to see Jesus. And if he does not open our eyes to see Jesus, guess what? We're not going to see Jesus. Most of us who are Christians in this room Know that feeling when we could not see Him. The difference between not being able to see Him, no matter how many sermons you heard, no matter how many times you went to church, you just could not see Him. No matter how many people put Jesus in front of you, you just could not see Him. And then there came a day when your eyes were opened and all you could see was Him. So what happened between that day and this day? Did you get a better pair of glasses? No. What happened between the two days? Why were you once blind and why can you now see? What's the difference? God is the difference. God is the one who opens our eyes. God is the one who makes us see Jesus. God by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. The Holy Spirit's job is to awaken our hearts, illumine our minds, that we might see Jesus for who He truly is. That's what the Holy Spirit has done in our lives. 
And yet God keeps them from seeing him. And then Jesus says to them, he asks two questions. The first question he asks is this, verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walked? And they stood still looking sad. Jesus comes up to them. The one who created all things. The one who knows all things. The one who sustains all things. The one who all things were made by Him and for Him and through Him, Colossians says. And the one who made all things and the one who made these men and the one who made conversation and lips and tongues and everything to speak, who made their minds in order for them to be able to have this conversation, He comes to them, this Jesus comes to them and says, What are you guys talking about? As if He doesn't know. And you think to yourself, well, of course this Jesus knows. He knows exactly what they're talking about. And then it leads him to a second question. Verse 18, they reply. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Are you new in town? Because this is what everybody is talking about. How could you not know? You think, okay, well, Jesus is going to let them out of his misery. But no, he asks the second question. What does he say? What things? What things? Are you new to this town? Don't you know what's been happening? And Jesus carries on with them and says, what things? Why would the one who knows all things, who created all things, come to these men and pretend to know nothing? Why would he do that? Because Jesus, Jesus, He is the great teacher. He is the great teacher. I have made a confession here before in primary school. I was terrible at maths. Let me make another confession. Confession. In primary school, I was terrible at reading. I hated it. Because they used to do this evil thing where they would say to you, it's time to read this page, and they would call you out by name. And I hated it. I hated standing up. I hated getting confused with the words in front of people. I absolutely hated it. So I went for special reading. Went for special reading out to Miss Stout's class. She was still there back then in St. Luke. Some of you will still know her. Out to Miss Stout's room and she would take me for the special reading. And I still remember it to this day. She would get my finger and you would have to put your finger on the words and run my finger along. I would have to follow every single word as she would run my finger along. And then I would get stuck on a word. And I would look at that word and then I would look at her and she would look at me. (laughs) And we both know that she knows the word that I am about to say. And I look at her and I think... We could both be put out of our misery here if you could just give me the answer. Because we both know that you know the answer. And she doesn't want to give me the answer. What does she say? Sound out the syllable, Shane. Sound out the syllable, Shane. So I'm trying to sound out the syllable. Sound out the syllable, Shane. I'll sound out your syllable is what I'll do. Sound out the syllable, Shane pointing to me. Why? She knows the answer, but what does a good teacher do? 
a good teacher brings you along so that you find out the answer for yourself. That's what Jesus is doing with these two men on the road to nowhere. He's going to teach them and he's going to help them to find out the answer for themselves. And so he says to them, what things? In verse 19, and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. There's a lot in response to what things. But I want to show you two things. Look at the tense that they talk in. The man who was a prophet. That is how they now see Jesus. He came, he taught very well, he was a good man. We even saw him heal people. He was crucified on the cross. He was, he died and he was buried. And for them, that's the end of the story. So what does that mean? Jesus was a prophet, past tense. Oh, he was a very good teacher. That's what most people who think Jesus just died and was buried and who do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that is what they think. Jesus, he was a good prophet, but that's it. He was a prophet. And the second thing I want to point out, verse 21, we had hoped in him. You see, if he was crucified, if he died and if he was buried then that was the place we put our hope. But now what happens? We don't put our hope in Him. Why? Because it's the third day. And what did He say would happen on the third day? He would rise again. And Where is He? Right in front of you, lads. Where is He? They have no hope. It's past tense. And some of us, we live in a Christianity that is past tense Christianity. Yes, I remember the day when I used to love the Lord Jesus and used to be on fire for Jesus and used to do missions for Jesus and used to serve Jesus and our Christianity is all past tense. No, no. Jesus was king and guess what? Jesus is king. Jesus was the priest and guess what? He still is the priest. Jesus used to pray for you in John 17. And guess what He is still doing? Present tense. He is still ever interceding for His people. It's present tense Christianity that we live in. Not just the past, but the present. And not just the present, but the future. Our King, He is coming back again. And yet if all you see is the crucified Christ, if that is all you see, then you have no present Christianity and you have no future Christianity because He has not risen from the dead. And this is what these men are stuck in. And if you'll allow me to summarize, they, they, they say to Jesus in their answer, this reality of, yes, it seemed like the women came to the tomb and guess what? The tomb was empty. So they recognized the tomb was empty and and, and the women who saw that the tomb was empty, they ran and told the disciples. 
Yet these guys still didn't believe because the tomb was just empty. Peter went to the tomb, they said, and they record. And what did he find? The tomb was empty. And yet that still wasn't enough for them to believe. They knew that the tomb was empty. They knew that he was gone. Peter goes back marveling, but not them. And so what does Jesus say to them? You, saw the em- you heard about the empty tomb twice. And Jesus says to them, in verse 25, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, All that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning him. Jesus says, you're slow of heart to believe. Why are you so slow of heart to believe? And then what does Jesus do? He takes them on what must have been the best Bible study ever. Moses and the prophets and all the scriptures testify these things concerning himself. What's Jesus saying? It's all about me. Jesus himself appears to them and Jesus is telling them that all the scripture is about himself. It's about me. And you're missing it. The Old Testament scriptures was pointing to the fact that I would raise from the dead and I have to bring you back to the scriptures and point it out to you. Oh, foolish ones. How slow of heart to believe. And then what happens is this, verse 28. So they drew near to the village, to to Emmaus. They drew near to the village, which they were going. And guess what Jesus did? He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is, it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in and stayed with them. And you think to yourself, why did Jesus act? As if he was not going further. Surely he knew exactly what was going to happen. The one who made all things. The one who created all things. The one who sustained all things. All things were made by him and for him and through him. Pretends to know nothing. Why? Sound out the syllables. That's what he's doing with them. What things? I think I might go now. No, Jesus, the great teacher, is showing them something and teaching them something and bringing these men along to one point. And it is probably some of my favorite portion in Scripture. Verse 30. When he was at table with them, he took bread, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Here's what the great teacher does. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. I'm going to go now. Say, oh no, I want, I want you back in here for a meal. He sits down with them. He takes the bread and you can imagine him looking at them. He takes the bread. He looks at them. He smiles at them, probably, and he breaks it in front of them. 
now do you get it? And they go, and he vanishes. They recognize him and he vanishes. What is it about this? What is it about this moment? The great bread breaker is breaking bread again. Luke 9, feeding of the 5,000. Lift his eyes to heaven, blesses it, and he breaks. They know him. There's someone who breaks bread like him. I've seen this before. In Luke 22, when he sat down with them and was telling them, do this in remembrance of me. He breaks bread. I've seen a guy break bread like that before. I've heard of a guy who breaks bread like that. It's him. And he breaks the bread. And they finally see, this is Jesus. Jesus has risen from the dead. And that brings us to the two responses of these men and the two responses that we ourselves should have to the risen Savior. The first response is this. When you see the risen Savior, your heart burns. Verse 32. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road and while He opened up the Scripture? When you see the risen Christ, your heart burns. And they say to each other after he vanishes, Yeah, do you remember? Did you get that feeling? When he opened up to us the scripture, did not our hearts burn? So what happened to these men? Their slow hearts, their foolish hearts became what? Burning hearts. What changed from the slow hearts in the previous verses to the burning hearts now? They have seen the risen Savior. And what is it that causes their hearts to burn? This Bible study. Jesus was always showing people that the Scriptures pointed to Him. Even when He was 12 years old, it was recorded back earlier in Luke that He was sitting down in the temple and He was teaching at 12 years old and all the great teachers were marveling at what He was teaching them. And then there is this great moment where he's in the synagogue. In Luke chapter 4, he's in the synagogue. He stands up to the synagogue. He rolls open the scroll and he reads from Isaiah 61. And after he reads from Isaiah 61, it says this about Jesus. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. So as he rolls up the scroll, they see him rolling up the scroll. He gives it to the attendant. He sits down. Every single eye is watching him as he goes to take his seat. He sits down. And then he says these words. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That is the synagogue version of a mic drop. Rolling up the scroll, giving it to the attendant and saying, All of that? It's about me. It's about me. So now he comes to the disciples and he says, Right, lads, let's let's go through the syllables again. All of that, guess what? It's about me. It's about me. And then he comes to the locked room. He stands with his disciples. He says these words, Peace be with you. 
And then they're still doubting. They're still wondering. He says, touch my hand, touch my side. Then he says, give me a piece of fish. I'll eat it in front of you just to prove it's my body. I'm still here. I'll eat it in front of you. And then what does he do with them? The very first thing the risen Savior does with them is he does this Bible study. Verse 44 of chapter 24. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand what? The scriptures. Man, it is a telling thing that one of the first things the Lord does when he sees people is he sits them down for a Bible study to tell them it's about me. It's about me. I do not understand this. I do not understand why so many Christians say, you know, we've got this, but I'm going to put it down and we're going to, we're going to interact and it's going to be on a much deeper level than this. Much deeper level. We need to, and listen, I don't mind us praying together. We should. I don't mind us talking together. We should. I don't mind us eating together. We should. But what is going to make our hearts burn? When we open up this word and we see that all of it is about him, it's all about him. And when we see that, that's what's going to get our hearts burning. And I know what it feels like. Sometimes we're going to a study and you're like, man, it is raining outside. It's freezing. I don't feel like my heart's going to burn. But I tell you what, it is what we need. It is telling that that is the first thing Jesus does as he raises from the dead. So when we see the risen Savior, what should our hearts do? Our hearts will burn. And finally, when we see the risen Savior, our mouths will speak. Verse 33. And they rose after they discussed with each other, these two men on the road to nowhere. Verse 33. They rose that same hour and returned where? To Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. When you see the risen Savior, not only does your heart burn, your mouth speaks. Your mouth has to speak. This is what these guys do. They see him and immediately they're seven miles away. Seven miles away. What's the first thing they do? It's later on on the first day. It's coming up to evening on the first day. And the first thing they do on the first day is they run. They run. A seven mile run just to tell people he is risen. That's what we should do. That's what our mouths should do. That's why we've been trying to do all we've been doing this weekend. Because we want to speak about Jesus. And Easter is such a unique time where people say, okay, tell me about your Jesus. We actually get away with it during Easter. And so that's exactly what we should do. We should speak about Jesus. And we should do it together. The mouth speaks And you think to yourself, why would they run seven miles? Why would we sit here? Why would you, let's be honest, come to this building? 
with that dingy ceiling. And I know the chairs kind of mask a few things, but the floor is pretty bad too. And the parking, that's frustrating. Why would you bother doing that? And the rain, why would you bother coming? For the same reason they ran seven miles. He is risen. He's risen. That's why we do what we do. He's risen. Why would you speak? He's risen. I've been captivated by him. I can't not, I can't unsee Jesus. I've seen him. I can't unsee him. I have to speak about him. We have to share about him. You can't not see what we see. So we declare the risen Savior. Oh, this morning it is my prayer that our hearts would burn and that our mouths would speak and that when people see Passage Baptist Church, they would say, those guys never stop. They never stop. May the Lord help us. I'm going to pray and then we're going to respond not by taking the Lord's table, but we're going to respond by standing and singing in worship to Him. Worship to our risen King. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are risen from the grave. Hallelujah. We pray that we as Your people will seek deeply to know Your Word, that our hearts may burn, that we may see that from the prophets and, and and the law and the Psalms, that all of it is testifying to You. Help us, Lord, to be those who speak. Give us the courage. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are risen from the dead. Our sins are forgiven. We are washed as white as snow, and we are promised eternal life. In your name, amen. Let's stand and sing, please.